This is a Soulfire production. Welcome back to the show, you crazy motherfuckers. We out here in this wild world and we're doing the thing. And, oh, you know, before I get into it, <laughs> before I get into this long-awaited show, if you like this, if you like this show, if you like where this goes, if you like what we talk about, even if you don't, even if you don't like what I talk about necessarily, but you appreciate that I'm talking about it, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, and make sure to share this show on your Instagram stories, or on Reddit, or on your OnlyFans page, whatever it is that you, wherever you connect with the most people, please share the show if you dig it. I'd appreciate that. Makes me feel good. Makes me feel nice to get tagged in something when somebody's like, I like this. I like this thing this guy is doing. I'm like, oh, I like you too. Thank you very much. Um, and I promise not to Crystalia you after that. So with that being said, I've been working uh, on putting something together for this show. And this has actually taken me a couple days longer than I thought. And not that today's show is like by any means that much different than any other show, but just getting my thoughts together. And, and there's something that uh, Brett Weinstein said the other day. If you don't know who he is, go find him. Um, part of the intellectual dark web. But he was talking about uh, critical thinking and critical feeling. And I, I believe that objective and critical thinking is one of the most powerful things that we can develop. And it is a skill um, throughout life. And it's something that I find a lot of value in and that pays dividends um, when it comes to living a productive and balanced life. Um, and it also does, it does a lot to help you distance yourself and, and be more... I would say have a have a higher quality view of situations that are that are challenging and that are especially that are very emotionally driven. Um, not saying that I'm by any means like a great critical thinker. That's not my. That's not. I don't want to tout that for myself, but it does feel that um, I do feel that it is something that I, I value very much. Now, we've seen a lot lately. There's been a lot going on lately, um, you know, statues being pulled down, the the protests continuing, things keep moving in in whatever direction they were going, they're, they're still going. And I'm, I'm frankly surprised um, by the stamina that this movement has had. Um, but at this point, I have to ask the question, and this may be unpopular, but I have to ask the question, what does justice look like? Now, because we've, we've, we've jumped on the, the Black Lives Matter movement um, in droves, in droves. But I find it hard to believe that at this point, it is clearly and, and specifically a race issue um, that doesn't seem to be the actual driver of this movement. And maybe why I've struggled to say that is because it is not a popular thought or opinion. 
And if I was more famous, I might get canceled for saying some shit like that. But I'm not. So here I am. And it's my fucking show, so I'll say what I want. I, I don't know who this is helping, but it scares me. Where are the goalposts? Where do we score? What is justice? I thought that we would dissolve into chaos for a while, as many movements do, and then calcify around certain desirable results, and those desirable results would go through whatever process those things need to go through to create action. And I think there is some of that. There is a little bit of that. But there's also a fuck ton of pandering and placating that is doing no one any good. And I fear that it may be a distraction from a further perpetuation of the problem at hand. The problem that started this all in the first place. Now, when something like this has gone on for as long as it has, you have to ask yourself, who's making the decisions? Who is making the decisions? And who benefits from all of this? Who benefits the most from all of this? At first, for a while, I could firmly say and confidently say that society at large benefited from the protests and the riots were kind of collateral damage. Um, The looting and all that shit, which is just criminals taking advantage of a situation, I would think that my feeling, my belief was that society at large would benefit. And I still think that society at large will benefit. But there's a certain amount of fatigue with outrage. And you're seeing this manifest in several different ways. Now, we can think about the statues being torn down, um, some that I would feel are relatively unjustified, but that's not necessarily my place to say. And we'll talk about that later on in the show. But I hoped by now we would have a clearer picture of the root causes of the inequality and injustice. And I'm fairly confident in saying that is not only racism. I would go as far as to say that racism is a small part of a huge problem in inequality and injustice. And what I fear is that the elected leaders in our society are going to do the song and dance for us what it is that we think we, that we think that we want in order to maintain the same status quo. In order to maintain the corporate relationships that they've thrived on since I don't know when. To keep hammering the middle class in the way that they have for so long and working people and continue to fuel the income inequality that I believe is the skeleton of this whole problem. So I want to put this out there before we even get into this show because I'm feeling pretty strongly about this. I can't imagine 
that we all piled on to the Black Lives Matter movement because we felt that we were inherently racist. So I want to ask the question, what feeling drove us to pile onto that movement? I think a lot of us thought, hey, this could have happened to me. This, what happened to George Floyd could have happened to me. What happened to Breonna Taylor could have happened to me. I, I think that's a big part of it. I think, I think police overuse of force is a humongous problem. I think the fact that the, the steps that we took to even get there are symptoms of a bigger problem. And that's what I'm getting at. We're playing with the surface here. Yes, systemic racism is a problem. Yes, there's remnants of Jim Crow bullshit still living in our society right now. But this is not only a race issue. Black communities bear the brunt of a bigger problem. And I'm, 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 what scares me in this whole situation is that we're not taking the time to stop Catch our fucking breath for a second and evaluate what's happened, where we're trying to go, and what the goal of this movement even is. Now, my solutions to this problem and what I believe would be helpful is a massive investment, a transfer of wealth into low-income communities that are primarily black. I think that would change so much. But the power structure and the imbalance within our society at large, that perpetuates the problem. Those are the people with the puppet strings and the politicians are dancing their dance. I don't think that banning police chokeholds is going to solve the fucking problem. And if you count that as a victory, okay, fine. But in reality, in the bigger picture, it doesn't do a goddamn thing. Because you know what somebody does when they can't chokehold you to subdue you? They beat you in the fucking head. Is that better? Is a concussion better than being unconscious? And we'll get into some more of that a little bit further down the show. But I had to fucking say this. I had to say this. It's gone too far without calcification, without clarity on where we're even trying to go. And I do think that the Black Lives Matter movement, which started with the best of intentions, is being manipulated and taken advantage of by people that we don't want to gain power in this country. Now, I'm not a conservative. I wouldn't even call myself a capitalist. But I know I'm sure as fuck not a Marxist either. And I'm sure as fuck not a communist. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. We need to challenge our own ideas. And we need to hit the fucking pause button and get our shit together. This can get out of hand real quick. 
And don't think that we're above it. And don't think it can't happen here because it surely fucking can. It's happened before. (sighs) Take a breath. Feel what you need to feel. Be honest with yourself. And remember that equality means equal criticism. And right now, I'm nervous. And I want to fix the deeper issues. And if we keep playing this fucking game, the same thing happened in the 60s. And the government took full advantage of it. The government wanted the Black Panthers and the fucking hippies or whoever else to be fighting with each other. It only made them stronger. What you have now in these continued riots and protests and pulling down statues and all this other shit. And I agree with most of it. I really do. I don't think we need statues of Robert E. Lee in this country anywhere. I don't. I don't think it's that's something, not something we're proud of. I like some Harriet Tubman statues would be fucking dope. I'm with that. I'm on board. But I know what you're doing right now is you're calcifying the people who fucking hate you. And they're growing in number because you're giving them a reason to. That's those far-right dipshits that want free trade. They don't give a fuck if the middle class shrinks. They don't really give a fuck about you. They want what they want, and they're going to leverage your actions against you for years and years to come if you do not get your shit together and look behind the curtain. This isn't a fucking game. This is not a fucking game. Take a breath. Get your shit together. Ask some challenging questions. And take action again. Do not stop taking action. But take the right action. And think it through. Now. Let's get into the state of things. All right, the police reform bill presented by the Republicans was blocked by the Democrats. They got fucking smacked down. And now it's been instantly politicized, as we all knew it would, if you're keen to these kind of things, like I like to think that I am. Um, Really interesting stuff here. So got some stuff from NBC News. Oh, man. Now let's get to the beefy part. The president, the president accused Democrats of blocking the Republican bill because they want to take away a lot of strength from our police and from law enforcement generally, inclu- including police immunity, which is qualified immunity. We're going to talk about that in just a bit. And he said his administration would not do anything to hurt police. Trump again pointed to what he said were high crime levels in cities run by Democrats to back his point and referred specifically to the recent unrest in Seattle. Now notice what he did there. Distract and divert. It's not about me. I didn't do anything wrong. I can't fix it. It's the Democrats. Classic Trump move. Classic political move, by the way. Everybody fucking. Nancy Pelosi does the same shit. So don't think it's just a Trump thing. That's a politician thing. That's elected official thing. 
oh no, uh, no, this is not a, I don't, I want a strong police force. And what the Democrats are trying to do is hyperbole, hyperbole, hyperbole. I'll make it seem way worse than it is and blah, 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 blah. And then it's all their fault because their cities are the ones that are filled with crime, which just happen to be the same cities that are big, big cities with more people and more poverty and more crime, of course. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, Democrats in the House and Senate have introduced their own legislation to address police brutality. Unlike the measures recently introduced by House and Senate Democrats, the Republican bill would not include outright bans on chokeholds or no-knock search warrants and does not touch on qualified immunity, which shields police from lawsuits. I'm going to play you a video after this article that explains qualified immunity from the perspective of a lawyer, and that's going to be very dry and very informative. The GOP bill would try to incentivize police departments to largely do away with chokeholds by conditioning Justice Department money on restricting the practice. In addition, the legislation would collect data on the use of no-knock warrants, which allow police officers to enter property without first knocking and announcing their presence. Now, here's, here's, here's a distinct difference, and I want you to pay attention to this. While the Democratic bill would create a national registry for compli- uh, complaints and disciplinary records of officers and also require reporting the use of force incidents, the GOP measure would collect data only when police officers use force that results in serious injury or death. Now, this is interesting because this is a very distinct difference between what the Democrats want and what the Republicans want, and this is why I, I favor the Democratic bill. Because... I would like data on any time use of force is used at all because I don't want the police department to have discernment on what they decide is a serious injury or death. Okay. It's very important. I want to, I want to know all the complaints. I want a national registry. I want that shit to be public because I don't want bad cops getting hired other places. One of the biggest things here in the, and this is the, this is a GOP. This is a Republican talking point. It's just a few bad apples, but then you're going to block the legislation that allows us to see who the bad apples are and get rid of them. I think most cops are good people. I think the rules they have to follow are bullshit. I think the protection that they have is bullshit and qualified immunity. So when you look at this, what the police, what the, what the Republicans are doing is just what the Republicans do. It's a, it's a, it's, there's no real change here. No real change. The only thing I don't agree with when it comes to Democratic bill really is the ban of chokeholds. I think chokeholds are very effective if used properly by somebody who knows how to do that. But police training, they can't really be trusted to do that. And you can really easily kill someone with that. But you can also really easily kill someone with a fucking gun. Anybody who could be trusted with a gun can be trusted doing a chokehold in my fairy tale imagination where that makes sense. Now, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said Tuesday that Republicans have some suggestions that are worthy of consideration, but so far they were trying to get away with murder, actually. The murder of George Floyd, prompting Senate Republicans to demand an apology. See, this is, again, this is where it gets politicized. Now she's blaming Republicans for trying to get away with the murder of George Floyd. That's just, that's just, that's silly. No, they're not. Come on, guys. Like This is a fucking song and dance I'm talking about. This is a joke. So... There's some major things here. One, the Republican bill does not want to create a national registry of any time force is used and complaints, and they don't want to outright ban no-knock warrants. 
no knock. I'm going to bust your fucking door down because I think something illegal is going on here. Those warrants are dangerous. And if you don't know what happened with Breonna Taylor, they thought drug activity was happening in her apartment. They busted her door down. Her boyfriend returned fire or shot at them because a bunch of un, a bunch of people jumped busting their fucking door down in what I'm assuming was not a great neighborhood. Uh, shot one or two of the cops. They killed him. They fired 20 rounds. Those rounds also went through the wall into her um, neighbor's apartment. What if there was a fucking kid over there? And those police are have not been arrested. That was not okay. But even if they were arrested, they could qualify immunity. And now I want uh, before we go any further, I want to get into qualified immunity here. Now, Cato is a uh, libertarian foundation, and there this lawyer that we were about to hear from. And this is a very, very dry, very, very dry um, video here, audio as well. But it did the best job that I could tell from the videos that I watched, and I watched several, of clearly explaining what's going on and why it's a problem. So let's just jump into that right now. When I say the words qualified immunity doctrine, there's a good chance many of you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's also the type of phrase that might help put non-lawyers to sleep. Well, our next guest is here to tell us why we should know what that term means and why it's important to get rid of it. Clark Neely is Vice President for Criminal Justice at the Libertarian Cato Institute. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So first of all, what is this qualified immunity doctrine? Why is it so important? Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. It is something probably a lot of people don't know about, but they should. Um, a hugely important question when we clothe public officials with tremendous authority and discretion, uh, as we do, particularly when it comes to members of law enforcement, police and prosecutors, um, is what kind of accountability comes along with that. Um, and there are only so many ways that you can hold people who wield that tremendous power accountable. Um, one way is through the criminal justice system, so they can be prosecuted, for example, if they uh, violate somebody's rights in a way that's actually a crime. Um, that's quite unusual and not normally how you'd want to, you know, wouldn't want, you wouldn't want that to be your sort of first line resort. Um, the other possibility is internal accountability mechanisms. So we're talking about sort of internal affairs or review boards or things. And for a variety of reasons we can get into or not, those have proven to be largely ineffective. Um, so that really leaves uh, private uh, lawsuits, civil liability, so that, uh, for example, if uh, your rights have been violated or you believe your rights have been violated uh, by a government official, including particularly a police officer, uh, then you have the ability to take that person to court and get a ruling uh, that determines that your rights have been violated and whether you're entitled to any sort of compensation. Qualified immunity essentially uh, disrupts that process by making it virtually impossible uh, to hold uh, police and other government officials accountable uh, in court for their uh, rights violations. Uh, and the way it does that is essentially what it does is um, the Supreme Court has um, in inserted two words into the federal civil rights statute. Um, there's a federal civil rights law that's been on the books more than 100 years, and it says that government officials uh, shall be liable to anyone that they injure uh, for the deprivation of any right. The Supreme Court has changed that law, in effect, by inserting the words clearly established between any and right. Very so now important. you can only sue a police officer or other government official for violating a clearly established constitutional right of yours or uh, any other kind of right. It has to be clearly established. Well, what does that mean? Well, what it means is that unless you can find a case that already, uh, where, where that has already happened, whatever it is they did to you, has already been done and a court has said that's not permissible, that, that, is, that is a violation of that person's rights, then the right is not clearly established and your suit will be dismissed. 
And uh, this is hugely problematic because it just basically caused the law to stagnate. We don't get sort of new rulings from courts saying what is okay and what is I want to jump in here because he talks about the clearly established piece. And if it's not been clearly established, now lawyers are smart and they can find loopholes. So one example that somebody told me is, is say they stop you because you're suspected of some crime and you didn't do it, but you fit a description. Um, we can all imagine which communities that impacts the most and say they use, you know, try to walk away. Something happens. Uh, they, slam your head down or they, they pick you up, slam you down and you hit your head on a curb. Okay. Well, maybe that happens. Say that happened in 1994 in 1998, similar situation happens, but they pick the dude up and slam the guy's head on a park bench. Clearly established could mean that the curb and the park bench could be the difference between that guy getting qualified immunity or not. See what I'm saying? Just that subtle difference of nothing else is nothing else has changed besides the fact that the guy's head hit a curb versus the guy's head hit a park bench. That could be a big that could be enough of a loophole to have this officer not be liable for damages, for violating constitutional rights, for injuring an innocent person. So when he talks about that, it's very subtle and it's very important that that language is interpreted the way it is. Because a lot of people get off on technicalities that are very, 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 very small. Very small. And he gets into an example here in a minute that I also find very important. And we can get into some examples in a moment. Um, and what it has done is it's really disrupted the feedback loop uh, so that police officers and other government officials are not getting accurate feedback from the public anymore about what we expect of them when it comes to use of force and other issues involving our rights. We are speaking with Clark Neely. He is vice president for criminal justice at the Libertarian Cato Institute, which is leading a judicial and legislative effort to repeal this qualified immunity doctrine. You mentioned examples. Some people probably got a gist of what you were talking about, but how does this play out in the real world? Sure, I can give you a couple of examples of cases that are on their way to the Supreme Court right now. We don't know whether the court will take these cases, but um, it, it gives you an illustration of, of you know the context in which this can come up. Um, one involved a lawsuit by a woman who was swimming in a public swimming pool in Nebraska. Uh, she was horsing around with uh, with her her family and her boyfriend, and someone uh, mistook what was going on. Uh, was afraid that she was being attacked, so they called the police. The police showed up and and asked to speak with her. Um, she spoke with them and assured them that there was no problem. She wasn't, you know, being attacked or anything. Uh, during that conversation, she looked over and noticed that somebody was hassling one of her children. So she said to the officer, I need to go and help my, my child, but I'll, I'll come back and finish speaking with you after I've done that. And he said, no, you need to stay and speak with me. Now, keep in mind, she's not, she wasn't understood to be the perpetrator. She's supposedly the victim. And she's about five foot two, 110 pounds in a bathing suit, not armed. So she says, I will speak with you, but I need to go talk to my child first. And so she turns and walks away. He comes up behind her. The police officer comes up behind her, uh, gets her in a bear hug, lifts her up off the ground, turns her upside down and drives her onto her head so hard that he knocks her unconscious and breaks her shoulder. Uh, she sued for excessive use of force and the federal court of appeals, uh, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals held that the police officer was entitled to qualified immunity, meaning the case could Jesus not go Christ. forward. Why? Because there wasn't a case on point where a police officer had picked up a petite woman unarmed who was not resisting, turned her upside down, and drove her onto her head. That is an example of what qualified immunity does in our system, is it allows police officers who have very obviously violated somebody's rights uh, to escape 
liability to escape accountability, in effect, for that. Um, and I could sit here, unfortunately, all day and give examples like that. Now, you're a lawyer. Yeah, so this video goes on a little bit longer, but I think that's that that's the gist of it. And it's something worth thinking about because the, the response from police officers is, well, in that case, then we're not going to respond to any situation where there's not a victim and it's not an emergency. Oh, my God, that's fine. Yes, that's essentially what we're asking for here. Like, show up when it's necessary, not punishing the supposed victim of a non-crime, which happens all the fucking time, all the time. And I get these guys have stressful jobs, and being a police officer is very hard. And maybe there's a room for a little bit of protection a protection in there for them to do their job well. But to this extent, it's got to change. It's got to change. And as unfortunate as it is for me to say this, I don't think the Republicans have the balls to do it. They don't. They want to, they want to blame it on a few bad apples, but they don't want to create the filter to filter out the bad apples. They have no interest in doing that. Because then they're gonna they're gonna paint that they're gonna they're gonna manipulate their base into saying well that's weakening the police department, but maybe that's what we need. Because we've we've been we've been paying these people forty percent of city budgets, and they don't even use that money effectively. And here's one of the issues I have I've, I've been listening to Joe Rogan has had some really fun conversations on this as of late, and I think he has many good points. But you know him and Jocko Willing kind of went down this this rabbit hole, his tangent about how cops need more money and they need more training. I think that's absolutely fucking bullshit. Absolute bullshit. Because they're not even using the money they're getting affected that they're getting right now effectively anyways. So why? Why give them more money? They're not you can't be trusted with the money they have right now. Here's my example. I was at the gym the other day and I've got a friend at the gym, he's a coach at my at the gym I go to. He's a, he's about to he's an, he's an army guy. He's served in Afghanistan. He's about to go back to uh, be a Green Beret. I have full confidence in this motherfucker to do it. He's a badass. Okay? Uh, rooting for you, dude. Anyways, he said during these protests, during these protests that were going on here in Denver, okay, Denver is generally a pretty peaceful city, um, a lot of weed, everybody's pretty calm, <laughs> but he said he saw two armored trucks driving by. They were the same type of trucks, and I don't remember, I don't remember what they were called. They're not Humvees or something else. Um, the same kind of trucks they had in Afghanistan. Those trucks cost $1.5 million each. $1.5 million each. That's in the budget. $3 million, I'm sure that's not all of them, but $3 million worth of trucks that are built to withstand improvised explosive devices overseas. I'm sure the military surplus, maybe they got a good deal. Maybe they got them for a million dollars a piece. We'll give it, we'll be generous. So $2 million. You could hire black belt jujitsu instructors to train your officers in non-lethal combat for $50,000 a year each. You get bad ass motherfuckers in your department training people, spending 15, 20% of their time training in non-lethal de-escalation tactics, physical combat that is non-lethal for $150,000 a year? Maybe? Maybe? But no, they're going to spend that money on toys, essentially, that are never going to be necessary 
in Denver, fucking Colorado. Maybe LAPD maybe needs a couple of those, but fuck, man. Come on. These guys don't need more money. They need to use their money appropriately and to get rid of these fucking lazy assholes that don't want to train. They want to be responsible for public safety. But I'm not a trained fighter, and I'm pretty. I, I, most cops that I'm around, I bet I could kick their ass. And that's embarrassing. That should not be the case. That's not the case for all police officers, but goddamn. Use your money better, okay? You can't be spending money like a kid that just got his allowance. And that's what I feel like these, 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 the police departments are doing. They're just not using money effectively. So we're going to give them more? No. Absolutely not. Restructure this shit from the ground up. When I hear defund police, I think, take that budget back to zero, hypothetically, and rebuild it in a way that makes sense. And the Republicans have no, no intention of doing that. Now, many, some do. I'm not going to say all of them, but some do. Some have the best of intentions. But they don't make decisions based on what's best for people. They make decisions on what they can run on next election cycle. Huge part of the problem. All right. Moving on. Moving on. Now, if you heard about this Trump rally... And they talked about how over a million people had signed up and wanted to come to this Trump rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the day after Juneteenth, which is very insensitive and really fucking silly. But they were like, we're going to fill this thing up. They had a backup stadium where they could use, use uh, you know, televise their uh, event for all the overflow crowd. They had an outdoor uh, screen set up in a 20,000-person arena for the main show, for the big event. For the big event. And 6,200 people showed up. <laughs> That's about how many people listen to my podcast. <laughs> now, the left jumped on this and made fun of it because it's funny. It is really funny. But there was like 11 million people watching online and, and on different TVs. I think Fox was streaming it. So a lot of people saw it. Uh, I don't think it's as big of an issue. I think a lot of people were scared of either violence and protests or COVID-19. All that stuff was going on. But... Um, still pretty funny, uh, but I don't think here, here's the, here's the scary part. And I think this is where it gets iffy is that the, the, I would say the liberal, how would, how would you say call it liberal? Like the, the Democrat media, right? The mainstream left-leaning media runs with this and makes a big joke of it. You gotta be careful doing that shit. They did that shit in 2016. Now I'm. I'm still on the fence about who I would prefer to get elected. I don't even know right now. And I know that's an unpopular thing for me to say too. I'm still looking at leaving this shit blank. I'm leave it blank 2020 or third party 2020. <laughs> Whichever third party candidate seems like uh, aligns with my values. Because I vote based on my values. I vote based on my values. That's that's the way. The last person I voted for in a general election was John McCain. <laughs> okay. Like I did not vote for Hillary. I didn't vote for Trump. And I didn't vote for Obama in the second term. Of course, I was in Texas at the time, so things were a little bit different. I wasn't in a, a it was going to be a red state regardless. Um, and in Obama's second term, I was still kind of phasing out of my um, of my ingrained conservative um, nature that I grew up with. So give me a little bit of a a little bit of um, leeway there. Still think John McCain would have been a great president. Putting that out there. 
Uh, especially because he was running an aggressive anti-war campaign, which I liked a lot. But moving on. <laughs> Anyways, that was a really funny deal. But you got to be careful with 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 buying the hype, because if you are one of those people that wants Biden in the White House, which I don't think there's very many people that are like excited about it. Obviously, I don't think Biden could get a six thousand person crowd out. Maybe in the right place, maybe like New York or something, but. You got. You don't want to get that 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 his his base riled up, because that's the thing about this, and we're going to talk about this down on something to think about. But Trump Republicans are a big part of the base, and and if you want Biden in the White House, you don't want those people showing up. You want them thinking they got it in the bag. So if you really want to manipulate the media, you make them think, oh, Trump's going to win this thing easy. If you're CNN or MSNBC, you're like, man. I'm scared. You can't think that you have this thing locked up because that is a mistake. They did that in 2016. Now, Hillary Clinton is the most unlikable person on the face of the planet, maybe second to Jeffrey Epstein, but pretty fucking close. So I don't know. But what I do know is that shortly after his Tulsa debacle, Trump uh, jumped in with um, the Students for Trump. I think it was hosted by Turning Point, Turning Point USA. And his speech was pretty standard, pretty short. I watched it live. But these, uh, these, he gave some students a chance to speak, which is really, really funny. Now, this one kid, he's the son of, a, uh, of, of an elected representative. He's uh, about five foot three. <laughs> if, you keep, if you're just watching, if you're just listening audio only, <laughs> this kid. The microphone is like at his forehead level, so it's really, really cute watching this little guy uh, do his thing. And he's been—I'm sure he's been practicing this, and he's really hyped. And he's going to get to talk on stage with a president, his hero, his hero, the best president of his lifetime. And uh, here's how it goes. But let me tell you, when administrations across the country do the will of the la- of the left and cater to the mob. It's our duty as conservatives to stand up and to fight for our rights and to fight for our nation and to fight for our God. Now, I like how he says, fight for our God. Like the, and I do think that <laughs> conservatives God is a little bit different than everyone else's God, uh, just based on the way that they perceive things. But it is, you could have just said God. Like, I don't know why that's our God. Okay, well, anyways, moving on. That's right. Get him, little guy. And you know, Mr. President, Mr. President, <laughs> my dad, Congressman Dan Bishop, he likes to say that you like to say that he's not a choker. <laughs> mm-hmm. And let me tell you, Mr. President, us college conservatives, we ain't chokers neither. <laughs> We're going to win this election. We're going to take back the House. We're going to keep the Senate. And we're going to get four more years of the best presidency of my lifetime. The presidency of Donald J. The best presidency of my 19 years. (laughs) I'm sure you're not a choker, little guy. (laughs) What a doofus. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. And there was also 
There was also this little gem. Aunt Jemima was canceled. <laughs> and, and if you didn't know, Nancy Green, the original first Aunt Jemima, she was a picture of the American dream. <laughs> she was a freed slave who went on to be the face of the pancake syrup that we love and, and have in our pantries today. Um, she fought for equality. And now the leftist mob is trying to erase her legacy. And might I mention how privileged we are as a nation if our biggest concern is a bottle of pancake syrup. Okay, okay, hang on, hang on a second. I'm pretty sure that no part of the American dream involves being a slave. Just like, that's just, just, I don't think that's a part, that's not a part of the script for the American dream. Second of all, the fictional character that she was, that, that Aunt Jemima portrays was a, uh, was a, um, a housekeeper after being a slave. So she was, that's essentially right along the lines of being a slave. So, this is just makes no fucking sense. Also, also the reason that they did this with aunt Jemima and uncle Ben, I might add is not necessarily for social justice reasons. It's because it's a company that wants to make the money. Cash rules everything around us. This isn't about making a statement. They don't give a fuck at the parent company of Aunt Jemima. No one, no one there gives a shit about social justice. Maybe on an individual level they do it some, to some extent, but they want to capitalize on unrest by stacking cash, which is fucking capitalism to a T. So you can't criticize the Aunt Jemima people for changing their logo to make money. Why? They're like, oh, this is a great time to get some PR by just changing shit up a little bit. Bada bing, bada boom, cash in the motherfucking bank. Now, you know, you know what everybody's talking about, talking about right now? Fucking syrup. Sugar water. Yeah. That's advertising. And that is free. Thank you, Fox News. Thank you, Turning Point USA. You're making us money right now by complaining about the leftist mob who had nothing to do with Aunt Jemima being changed. They've changed her several times in the past 50 or 60 years. They've updated her look and, and changed some things so she didn't look so much like a slave. Like, there's a lot going on there, but they're just trying to make money. Same thing with Disney is changing some things at their theme parks. They just want to make money. Who fucking cares? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. But it's somehow an attack on your culture that we want to change the syrup label or that the Andrew Mima people want to change their syrup label to, to appeal to a, a broader audience. That's just marketing, dude. Lady Reagan, this girl's name is Reagan. She got fired from her job for saying some things that may have been a little bit racist, if you can believe that. Good shit, though. Oh, Turning Point USA and Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens, you guys are doing the Lord's work. You're God's work. You're doing the work for your God right now. <laughs> your God is, is an interesting cat. Interesting cat, for sure. Wow. The level of ignorance. And this is what I... <laughs> They get these college students, right, that are just – maybe I was guilty of this in college too. I, you know what? I think I was so undecided in college that I was more of an, in, an independent. Again, that's when I voted for John McCain. Um, I was undecided because I saw Obama speak 
when I was in college too at my campus. And it was amazing. He did an amazing job. Um, and I was moved by it. I really was. Now, turns out, you know, not really stoked with how his presidency uh, went. Um, but then again, there's a lot of factors at play there from both sides. Uh, but these college kids, it, they get them young, man. They get them young, they get them riled up. And the thing is, on the when you're a kid, when you're that age, you're so cockstrong and arrogant about all of your beliefs. You think you have so many things figured out. It takes the real world to punch you in the fucking throat to let you know that you don't have everything figured out. And college kids don't have many of them, especially if your dad is a fucking congressman or a senator or whatever the fuck that kid's dad was. You just don't have the context on the world to really make accurate decisions. I don't think that... College kids should be highly politicized at all. I think they should be getting a, an unbiased view both sides. And college professors lean left, so there's going to be a lot of leftists in the college world. Um, but they're angry and frustrated. They don't have any idea how to have a conversation without getting heated about something. I mean, I saw this in between the fraternity world and the independence. It was just like we they hated each other. I, I never was involved in like the the disdain for people who weren't in fraternities or weren't in the Greek situation but it was like this 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 aggravation with each other for existing and it's like what the fuck is that why is you just need that you almost like as a college kid you need something to push against you need to rebel against something it's stupid it, it, you you grow up and you're like that was dumb but i was just a cockstrong fucking child at this at the time I, I was i had more freedom than i probably needed but i had to make my way in some certain way and that was that's how it goes and, and these college kids getting politically, you know, indoctrinated into any belief, whether it's liberalism or communism or socialism or democratic socialism or conservatism, whatever it is, like you need to, those kids need to pump the fucking brakes a bit, man. It's a, it's a trip. It is a trip, but doesn't stop, doesn't stop them from making a fool of themselves. And that was really, really funny. So kiddo, you just keep on not choking. <laughs> Oh, doofus. Now let's talk about statues. Oh, they're coming down. They are coming down. Now, there's a there's a lot of ways to look at this. You know, there was this video going around from this this woman from Venezuela saying this is eerily similar of what happened in Venezuela with the overthrow of democracy and things of that nature. Um, I like to be hesitant with that because anytime there's an overthrow of anything, I think the, the United States is usually involved in some secretive way. That's kind of what the CIA exists for. But I want to look at this statue thing from a different angle. One, if these people, right, these people that, and I'm talking about even Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, George Washington, all these cats, if they were all here right now, what would they think about how we're using the Constitution, how things have gone? What would they think about how far we've come? What would they think about where we're going? I don't think they have the amount of foresight to see a couple hundred years in the future. So um, that's something to be thought about as well. But what if what would they do? Would they even want their statues up? If they saw how much that we've changed, right, and that slave ownership is not cool and that blacks are not supposed to be subservient to whites, that's not their natural place in the world, but that's all fucking silly and obnoxious. I think if they walked into our world now, they'd be a little bit ashamed of themselves. I really do. 
do I think we need to erase them and blow up Mount Rushmore and do all this shit? Not necessarily. If it's a Confederate statue or someone who stood for Confederacy, yeah. We don't need like Confederate participation trophies littered around the United States. Like that just doesn't need to happen. It is funny though that the same people who hate participation trophies for kids love Confederate participation trophies and they think it's a part of our heritage. It's a nice little uh <laughs> nice little conundrum to be in there. But I also think that if we did a better job of educating kids, of educating ourselves, really, on honest history, the real history, the real history of the world. Let's, let's not sugarcoat it. Let's not whitewash it. Because what we get in school is this whitewashed version of history. And so when we find out that Columbus was a fucking scumbag and that... You know, Thomas Jefferson had a bunch of kids with his slaves. It's upsetting and frustrating and shocking, frankly. It really is. So you're pissed and you're and you're upset. Now, do I think a lot of the statue pulling down, like there was some that we, that were pulled down here in in Denver uh, just yesterday. I think a lot of it is just riding a trend and wanting to be a part of something cool. And it's like, well, I want to pull down a statue too because they're pulling down a statue. Let's pull that one down over here. And it's kind of just riding this ridiculous wave that I was talking about earlier in the show without even really knowing why. It's not like people are like, well, before we pull this statue down, let me, let me, you know, pull up this person's Wikipedia page and see what they did. That was positive. Um, so it's, it's an interesting thing to go down, but I feel like if we just didn't whitewash history so much and didn't manipulate history so much that by the time we were at the age where we could pull down a statue, we might have a little bit more context on what that statue means and what that statue is brought to this, that, that, that person that that statue, that statue represents, what that brought to this country, what, what it did for us, for the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of it. But we don't do that. We're scared to do that. We manipulate our history. We teach kids bullshit. It's all song and dance and fairy tales. And then you're in for a rude awakening in your mid-20s when you wake up to this bullshit or you choose to bury your head in the sand. It's just, it was, the founding of this country, which Christopher Columbus didn't find this country, stumbled upon it by accident, and he did not discover it. There were already people here. And what he wanted was that gold, man. That was it. He wanted gold. And he used slaves to get it. Is that a part of our heritage that we need to be proud of? No. Not at all. Now, maybe these Confederate statues and that history belongs in a museum somewhere, and maybe that museum will turn into some place for white supremacists to gather and, 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 and worship their idols. Maybe. I don't know. It doesn't need to be erased necessarily, but it needs to be fully understood. It needs to be fully understood. And if we can do that, if we can do that from a young age and have kids understand the cultural differences between the United States in the 1700s and the United States in the 2000s, then maybe we wouldn't have so much fucking anger everywhere and wouldn't feel that we've been lied to. We're lied to constantly. Today, we're lied to all the time. Entertainment media exists to lie to us. And we just take it. And we've been taking lies, hook, line, and sinker, since we were fucking children, man. And then these people are going to criticize 
for people being upset. You find out what Christopher Columbus was really about, and you go, wait, that motherfucker has a statue in my, in my, in my town square? Why? Why? But at the same time, things don't age well. FDR. Atop the list of my, up, up near the top, the list of my favorite presidents was racist as fuck. Theodore Roosevelt was racist as fuck. Most people in that time, you know, who wasn't racist, generally speaking, which is kind of weird to see how it's turned, the tables have turned, is poor white people. They saw themselves as equal with freed slaves in a lot of ways. They intermingled, they intermarried. Because they struggled. And through that struggle, they saw they weren't that fucking different. But the best and the brightest of our past, many of them are racist. And that's not even going back that far. I'm talking about Truman, Nixon, Reagan. They didn't own slaves, of course. But... A lot of this doesn't age well. And we got to also understand that the people in our time, right now, in the present, in 200 years, won't have aged well either. We're doing things as a culture right now that our, that our future generations, our grandkids' grandkids, look back on and say, what in the actual fuck were they thinking? The same way that we do when we look back at some of these ideas and these concepts and these cultural norms that we're, that we're breaking out of now. And this revolution is happening. It's been happening for a long time. And now is the loudest outcry of it, in my opinion. But fuck, we've got to be careful with this shit. Because when you discover that you've been lied to, you get pissed. Do your research. Do your homework. I like the idea that some of these statues are going to be replaced with more appropriate figures for the time. But if you want to pick through everybody's history with a fine-tooth comb, Gandhi was sexist. MLK was sexist. Many of our presidents were racist and sexist. It's weird. It's weird to look back, and it's hard to look back with our moral framework that we operate from now. It's really hard. So do things need to change? Yes. Do we need to pull down statues of George Washington? Probably not. Probably not. But hey, the real question is, what what would they do if they were here? Because they started a fucking revolution. It's a serious question to ask. Now let's change gears real quick. We're going to change gears real quick now. I want to get into this because on the last episode, I talked about the Chris D'Elia situation. Now, I've been digging into this a little bit, and it's hard to sift through the bullshit. I'm going to be honest with you. It's hard to sift through the bullshit. Now, Whitney Cummings has come out and said she doesn't condone his behavior. It was super inappropriate. It's fucked up, and they're really close. Um, what it seems like to me in what I've read is that Chris D'Elia – and if you, if you didn't hear last episode, you're not familiar with this, was inappropriately messaging underage girls, asking them to, you know, naked cuddle and make out and things like that. And the word that was used was grooming. 
that um, he was grooming these girls. And I came out and said it didn't really feel like grooming. <sighs> Maybe it is in a way, but the, the idea that grooming is this long-term build of trust. Um, and I just didn't see that in the messages. It was very upfront. Like there wasn't a lot of grooming involved. The, 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 the idea that he was grooming them by saying, using language that teenage girls would use with other teenage guys, like make out, cuddle, yada, yada, yada. I didn't think that was weird. Cause I say shit like that as an adult, but I'm also fucking weird. So looking at that, not weird. I don't talk to underage, underage girls sexually that not that kind of weird, but like with consenting adults. Um, anyways, moving on. So a lot has come out about this and, and it's been interesting because the more that comes out and people jump on these things and they're like immediately many comedians distance themselves from the situation. Um, Brendan Schaub had his own little handful of uh, DMs come out. Um, Brian Callen, you know, distances himself. Uh, Joe Rogan hasn't said anything that I've that I've seen yet. Um, but Theo Vaughn came out with something that I thought was really well done, and I really appreciate it. And of all those comedians in that sphere, um, the like L.A. comedy scene, Theo is my favorite. Theo is hilarious. Uh, I got to see him live here in Denver. And he just seemed like a good-hearted dude um, that has his own, you know, handful of struggles. But I want to play the entirety of his of his response, um, and I really like the way that he went about this. Let, let's let's play that right now because it's it's kind of a hot topic right now, and, and you're kind of kind of close to it. Um, I just want to hear your thoughts on on, on Chris D'Elia, man. Um, I'm a big fan of his. I'm a big fan of yours. I'm a big fan of a bunch of comedians like yourself. But I don't want to believe it, dude. I really don't. Um, you know, it's. I, I feel like that that crying old man at the, the WWE whatever thing is like, it's still real to me, damn it, you know? That's how I feel. So maybe try helping me feel a little bit better, Theo Vaughn. Yeah, I want to thank you for the call, brother. I, I appreciate it. And, um, you know, a lot of calls have come in about this a lot. And, um, and I wanted to wait to speak on it until I was here at the podcast and until we were all together. Um, you know, I just want to say, you know, how horrible this, this, this was for the girls who felt like they couldn't say anything. You know, how horrible this must have been for the girls who felt like they didn't have a voice, you know, for a period of time that they couldn't, you know, speak up for themselves uh, out of fear or, or you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure what they were, everything they were going through. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, I'm happy that they found a voice to, to speak. I'm happy that they found the courage to speak up. I also, um, I wrote some things down that I want to be, that I want to say, so I want to be real clear, you know, cause my mind it's, you know, I don't know. I'm not always the most clear, you know, I sometimes get real brackish in, uh, in my brain. And, and, um, so I just want to be clear, man. Uh, so 
I just want to say that I know that there was a video pulled out of a podcast that may have given the vibe that I had prior knowledge um, of anything predatory that was going on or occurring. Uh, I never knew anything predatory uh, occurring. Uh, I had, I have never seen Chris with any underage women ever. I've never heard him. I've never heard him communicating with any underage women. I've never spoken with him about anything like that ever. I've never heard him speak with anyone about anything like that. You know, I would never condone that type of behavior. I would never laugh about it. Um, you know, podcasting, you know how it is. We just talk, been talking for years and we give each other, uh, you know, a good rough time about stuff. And, <clears throat> and Chris and I've always had this, you know, to me anyway, this is my perception that we've always had this, you know, we give each other a rough time about things and, um, and his fans are called babies. And, you know, I know he has a lot of younger fans um, and my brain just goes like a, you know, it's like a guy without legs in a, you know, in a damn avalanche contest or something, you know, it just, I'm just, it just goes sometimes. It's a lot of rambling. It's what a lot of podcasting is. Um, but I never had any knowledge or evidence or idea or reason to suspect that Chris was ever doing anything that was that was wrong and I would never condone anything like that um, you know and I hope that Chris gets the help that he needs and uh, you know and I always ho hope that you know, I always hope that anybody gets the help that they need. And, um, and it's heartbreaking, you know, it's heartbreaking because I was also a fan. Um, you know, um, and, and that's all I'm going to say about that. What else? Uh yeah, so I, what I like that Theo did there that that no one else did that I saw. Um, talking about Brendan and Brian and Bobby Lee. <clears throat> is that he led with empathy for the girls. He talked about how those girls didn't feel like they had a voice. And how sorry he was for that and how happy he is that they found the courage to say what they, they needed to say. Now, what I want to say about this is that more will come out. We'll know more. It seems like on the face of it that it seems like on the face of it, that what Chris did um, was really fucked up, was really fucked up. But then I dive, dive a little deeper, and it seemed like he was distancing himself from any girl who was underage. 
and that maybe some of this stuff was manipulated. And when there's a lot of attention and a lot of clout on the line, maybe some of this stuff was manipulated. I don't, does it, there's been evidence to support both. There's been evidence to support both. And it's scary. It's, I mean, who, who fucking knows? Who knows? But you guys, I don't, it's weird. It's weird. And then you have this clip I'm play for you right now from the fighter and the kid with Brendan and Brian and Chris Leah is the guest. And they're talking about some teacher who had, uh, who had sent her titties, a photo of her titties to one of her 15 year old students on Snapchat or former students, um, try to cover that up. But Chris's reaction here to knowing, and what we're seeing here is that, that other comedians were kind of funneling girls to Chris, say some girls that he, some comedians that he had, that had opened up for him and different things like that were funneling girls his way via Snapchat and different ways. Um, really interesting and odd the way that was going down. Um, but there was definitely some snap Snapchat activity, but this is just, this watching his face here is pretty interesting. And his, just his, his reaction in, in, in whole here. Nudes through Snapchat. She okay. was also Miss Kentucky at one point. Jeez. And her excuse was that she was trying to send a nude photo of her through Snapchat to her husband, but accidentally sent it to one of her students. And when he responded, she freaked out and sent him more. Oh, she's full of shit. Obviously, be better at lying. But also, <clears throat> wait, does she, she deserve to go to prison for wait, two wait, years no, for sending not. a teenage boy tits? Well, how old was she? She sent him more? 15. Well, he's yeah. 15. And oh, that kid's, probably, that kid's probably dead for the rest of his life. Or he has jacking material sent for more? Yes, years. but here's the thing. She sent it through Snapchat. Why does she have her students Snapchat? Yeah, well, that that's weird. Yeah, that let me see your body, me, dude. If I'm 15, that's amazing. And this history teacher sends me those tits. Yeah, you'd be uh, stoked. Very strange to me, though. It's an. It's odd such thing. a weird thing to do. Wait, that's hold a, on. Wait, she won an award. That's a strong core. She was she uh, core. 2014 Miss Kentucky. That's a strong oh, core. Kentucky, not exactly that right. competitive. All right, man. You said that three times. Yeah, no, I heard you the seventh <laughs> time, and I ignored it. It's just a strong core. Very okay, SpongeBob-ish. <laughs> but, but, but hold on a second. How, how did it come out? Like, how did they? The uh, boy's mother ended up finding it. Fucking Finding haters. it? What do you mean? It, it the Snapchat goes away, right? How they? He probably saved face. it. You can screen record, take screenshots. Wow. You got to know that that's going to happen. Some people I do guess. some crazy yeah. shit. Yeah, he says his teen's parent reportedly found the photos on his phone, which he saved from Snapchat. <laughs> also, mom, quit being a cock block. Who knows where this would have went, you know? Never Am I right, fellas? I mean, odd, I, 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 odd. Why have your student, why have a 15-year-old, why, yeah, the whole thing is just. He sent a picture. Two years in jail? It's weird. It's 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 weird when it's a girl, hey, older girl. Hey, Takashi69 yeah. got two years. Yeah, so. <laughs> If you couldn't hear it there in just his voice, it was definitely a, a, a moment of realization that you could sna save Snapchats. That was news. That was news to Dalia. So, I don't know. It, seem, it seems really bad, and, and it seems like from what his representatives have had to say is that they're going through all of this stuff and all the accusations, and they're, gonna, they're going to release the full conversations because this one, um, this girl, Simone Rossi, who kind of broke this whole thing. Um, I've also seen screenshots of her 
from a couple of years after this all happened when she was 17. So it had been four years later. This is all in like 2014. So that would have been like 2018 where she says, I'm 21 now and down to fuck. So I just don't fuck it. This is such a fucking dumpster fire. Um, but you can't be talking to underage girls, dude. Like even, even like, Oh God. Even just like waiting for them to turn 18 is fucking creepy and weird. It's weird. I don't know. And then there's, you know, when, if this is all real, we need somebody to come out that he had sex with when they were underage and he knew they were underage. All that shit. We need somebody to come out and say what the fuck actually happened. I don't know. But uh, yeah, this is I get my tongue tied up. I just don't fucking know. This is crazy. It's why would you do that? You got hot ass fans. And even Brian said that, you know, Brian Callen's talking about how this guy fucks, you know, it's just what he does. It's known. So I don't know. So there's that. Giving you the rundown there on that whole situation. Now, let's move on. I'll give you something to think about. Okay, okay, okay. So, here's where we're at. It's 2020, election year, and it has been a wild year. Nothing we can say about that. It just has been. This is the craziest shit any of us have ever seen, I think. But one thing hit me. I was watching this show, uh, Dirty Money. On Netflix, and I was watching the Jared Kushner episode. I'm gonna watch the Trump one tonight. Um, but it gives some backstory on, you know, where this wealth came from and where these people came from. And there's some really good stuff in there. Really fun documentary to watch because it'll really turn your head and in, inside out a little bit. With wow, holy shit, there are some corrupt ass people in the world. But something hit me when I thought about the fact that. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. Is, a, is as involved in the world of politics as he is now, and Jared Kushner, which is his son-in-law, uh, and Ivanka, and who knows what Eric Trump is doing, but the number of people that are involved in the Trump administration that are his family, and the amount of influence he has with this large part of the Republican base that we'll just call Trump Republicans, right? They think that he is the greatest thing that's happened to this country in their lifetime and that he is going to fix everything. He is their savior. And then I realized that regardless of what happens in the 2020 election, the word Trump, the name Trump is going to be a part of our lives and a part of our political lives as well for the foreseeable future. So after Trump, you have whoever you have, probably some kind of progressive-ish Democrat, four or eight years of that. And then in order to pander to the Trump base, 
that's still around. Maybe you get a Donald Trump Jr. VP or, God forbid, president. Right? Maybe you get a Kushner in there. Who knows? But just wrap your mind around that. That for our foreseeable future, the Trump name will be a part of our political lives in the same way that the Bushes were through the 80s and the 90s and probably to a larger extent than the Clintons have been. That's the political family of our generation. And what does that say about us? It's just something to think about. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. Make sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you love this show and share it. Most importantly, find me on YouTube and everywhere else. Links are in the show notes. I had fun with this one. (laughs) I'm lingering now. Stay safe out there. Keep your head on straight. We'll see you next time.